This is Adoption The Long View, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. I'm your host, Lori Holden, author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption. Join me as we take a closer look at what happens after you adopt your child and begin parenting them. Your adoption journey isn't over then, it's just beginning. In this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of thought-provoking and influential guests as we help you make the most of your adoption journey. Like any trip worth taking, there will be ups and downs and challenges. Here's what you're going to wish you'd known from the start. Ready? Let's go. Adoptive parenting has this in common with regular old parenting. Just when you start to feel like you've mastered a stage, like babyhood, toddlerhood, tweenhood, or beyond, your child keeps growing and enters a new stage. And you're back at square one learning the ropes all over again. This is why it's so important all along the journey to update and refresh your parenting credential or the knowledge behind it at least. Sure, you can do this the hard way as we all do with the school of hard knocks, but do you really want to start from scratch with every new thing? I didn't. I wanted as many heads up as I could get. I found creating a family early in my journey and 15 years later, it's still a top resource for me and for others living adoption. For one thing, it offers a wealth of educational content on its website and through its podcast. And for another, it has a vibrant and well-moderated Facebook group that avoids being an echo chamber of similar voices that somehow narrow each other's views rather than expand them. Creating a Family has built and maintained a group that's 10,000 strong, comprising adoptees, birth parents, people going through infertility, and adoptive parents from all types of adoption, infant, foster, kinship, international, with respectful discourse and levity built into the group's culture. If you ever want perspectives on a tricky adoptive parenting issue, this is a place to tune in. There are many ways and places to continue your adoption education and hear from cross-triad voices, and today we are speaking with Dawn Davenport, adoptive mom herself and longtime executive director of Creating a Family. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dawn. She's an attorney, educator, training developer, and trauma-informed adoption foster kinship specialist. She's the host of Creating a Family radio show podcast, which began in 2007 and is now ranked in the top 5% of all podcasts in the U.S. She's the author of a book on adoption published by Random House and has had articles published in many national and regional publications. She's a mom of four by birth and adoption. It's so great to have you here today talking with us, Don. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I always love talking with you. I, I always get so many good things. So let's start out by, would you first briefly tell us about how you entered the world of adoption? Oh, through my family, obviously. I've, as we adopted, we then had needs for more information. And so really, for me, it came through my own personal adoptions. And uh, was yours an international adoption? It, it was. It and is. at what era are we talking about? To, around how long ago was this? In the 1990s. Okay. So, so the, prior to, yeah, prior to a lot of the changes in international adoption. Yeah, late 90s. So you've been doing the parenting, parenting thing a while. <laughs> I have been parenting for a while. Yes. I'd like to say it gets easier. It does get easier. It gets different. It gets, uh, in some ways, it's more fun. Some ways, you know, it's just your, your, your job. I always say your job as a parent is to put yourself out of work. If you do your job well, you will not be parent. You won't be actively parenting. You're always parenting and parenting in your heart and parenting in your worries. But yeah, so I'm at the, uh, I'm actually an empty nester now, which is not bad. I'm going to tell you. You did work yourself out of a job. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right. Every stage has uh, something charming about it and something challenging about it. And 
And <laughs> what we're talking about today is more how to meet those challenges. Talk to us about how creating a family came about. What what was the need you were seeking to fill when you created this? What is it, 15, 16 years ago? Yeah, 2007. The need seeking to fill that we were seeking to, to fill was for unbiased, accurate information. It seemed like when, now this was back in the, you know, what, 2007. So you have to take yourself back then. And yes, we had the internet. <laughs> so, uh, but there, even today, there's a lot of information online, but it's not a lot of good information online. You know, information that's based in research or information that's based on more than just somebody's personal experience. And at my heart, I am a researcher. I like I, and in a way, I'm sure it's a, you know, a cloak for thinking I have control, you know, that if I do enough research that I will make all right decisions, which of course is silly and it doesn't work that way. But I do like to research and I like to have it when possible, my decisions based on, on fact, and there just didn't seem to be good information online. And so I kind of backed myself into it. I had published the book. And as part of what Doubleday Broadway required was that you have a, um, I'm using air quotes here, platform. And the platform that they, one of the platforms they expected was a website. So I thought, fine, put up a website. But the funny thing was that we started getting all these questions. And because I am interested in this, and, and so I started researching and I published as a just an article, blog, whatever, what I was finding. And the questions kept coming. And finally, it was like, okay, we need to get organized. First of all, we needed to organize the website, you know, that we had all these topics that we were covering kind of randomly, and they need to be organized. So it just kind of grew from there. So you talk with people who are exploring infertility. You talk with people who are looking to adopt. You talk with people who have already adopted through all different ways. Have you found that there's one group of people that are particularly, that you're really tuning in on more than the others, or is it pretty evenly based? Primarily, um, we, we say our demographics are foster, adoptive, and kinship parents. Are you doing much in no, the so donor, donor conception at this point? Less, no, we really are not doing as much. It's an area that I'm personally fascinated by. And I think that there is so much overlap. And I, I think what I really believe is that the, the third-party reproduction, donor conception, embryo donation, surrogacy, that community could learn so much from the adoption community that I, I have often felt like I was standing on a train track and and I saw a wreck happening. And I'm I'm wanting to scream, listen, okay, no, we can... We've been there. We've got information. Quite a few years ago, we started moving. There was so much need in the foster, adoptive, and kin space that we needed to really narrow down. So we aren't doing as much now, but not because I, I still read anything I can find on it, uh, the donor conception and, and well, third-party reproduction in general. I, I so agree with you about seeing the train wrecks coming and that there's we've already figured some things out in this space. Can so look over here, we can help shortcut your your learning curve. Yeah, we did a, a podcast on that uh, quite a few years ago about what third-party reproduction, which includes donor egg, donor sperm, donor embryo, and surrogacy, uh, what they could learn from the adoption world. And it I it was a great it was a great show. I'm not sure they're learning. <laughs> You have been in the space for a long time. You've seen a lot of people come in fresh and become seasoned. What are some of the rookie mistakes that people new to adoption specifically tend to make? 
I'd like to divide that probably uh, into the different types of adoption, because I think it may, may differ depending on the types of adoption. If we're talking about domestic private infant adoption, I think that it is easy to forget when you're focusing on getting that infant into your home. It's easy to forget that they come with their their birth family. And and there's a thought that the birth family is simply going to just fade away. And even if even if it's an unconscious, because I think if you were to ask these families, they would say, no, that's not at all what I mean. But that the that the child that the expectation is that if we're good enough, the child will never have any interest or any need, even if it's a what the agency is calling an open adoption. So I probably that for domestic private infant. For foster care adoption, I would say that it's going in to fostering. I mean, there's two ways to adopt through foster care. One, of course, is, is legally free children, most of which are either in larger sibling groups or over the age of eight, then, but you can also go in as a foster parent. And I think that sometimes people go in as a foster parent because they're told that's the best way to get young children. And in fact, that probably would be an accurate statement. But one of our challenges as educators is to prepare them for the reality that they're going to be a soft landing place for a number of children before a child comes into their home, that they're going to be given the option of adoption. Uh, and so I think that helping set that those expectations or going in without those expectations would probably be the biggest mistake, rookie mistake for foster care. And for international, and I think this is changing, but I would say certainly, and I think it still exists, it's not realizing that the children available to adopt from abroad look very similar to the kids in the U.S. foster care system. Kids come into government care across the world for much the same reasons. There are slight differences, but they look more alike than they look different. As I'm listening to you go through all three groups, I'm thinking what's common underneath there on these rookie mistakes is this idea that we had for so long that adoption was not trauma, that, that that separation was not trauma, that relinquishment was not trauma. So in all three groups that you were mentioning, you're right, birth parents walk in the door with our kids because they are in our kids' bodies, they're in our kids' psyches. And that separation, even if it's necessary, is something to that child. And so as we, we as adoptive parents, the more we can acknowledge that, honor it, and not have it color how we parent and how we adoptive parent. I think I think that's probably an important lesson that people learn uh, along their adoptive parenting journeys if they're being really child-centered. Mm -hmm, I would agree. With all the people you've interacted with, can you tell us a couple of the, maybe two or the uh, three of the big ahas you've had over the years? Well, the first one's going to be a little on the sappy side, but you know, I just think there are so many good people in this world. There really are. And I do think that that the foster adoptive and kinship world has more than our good share of them. So I think, you know, that is, whether or not it's an aha, I don't know. A definite aha has been in the growth in podcasting. We started in 2007 with the Creating a Family podcast. And oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, just the changes and, and, uh, I always say I wish it were forethought that had gotten us, you know, into it. It's not. It was pure luck. But yeah, oh my gosh, just the the huge growth in podcasting uh, has certainly been a a pleasant aha. I love podcasts across the board and, and love podcasting. So 
Yeah, I think I remember listening to your radio show many years ago and before it was even called podcasting. People, yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. yeah, nobody even knew what the word meant. I think podcasting was internet radio, was it sometimes? It just had all these, yeah. And now it's like, uh, it's so common, and uh, which is both a good thing and a bad thing, you know, but uh, yeah, we'd be killed by choices here. But <laughs> yeah, here I am, one of the newer interlopers. <laughs> I will say we're oh, in season well. season four, so we've had a little bit of longevity here. I was going to say, yeah, you're not an interloper. Any, you're not a newbie anymore. <laughs> no more newbies. Me, anyway. Tell us a little bit about your educational offerings. I know you have like a, a very wide variety of ways to meet people, uh, where they are, modes of information. Talk to us about all that. Yeah. We have a, a number of different, we are the National uh, Education and Support, Adoption, Foster and Kinship Education and Support nonprofit. So you would, as you would imagine, we have a lot of different ways uh, to provide education. One, of course, we have our website and we have creatingafamily.org and we've got tons of free resources. We add three pieces of new content every week. We've got just lots and lots and lots of information. We have it well, well, I hope it's well organized. It's to us. If you click on our adoption options or adoption topics page, we have it broken down into types of adoption. We have, you name it, we've just got tons of free resources available for families and professionals. We also have courses. So for those who need certificates of completion or who just who want have a course on a specific topic they're interested in, we have over 71-hour courses on adoption, fostering, parenting kids who've experienced trauma, including prenatal trauma, prenatal exposure. And they're all one hour. And if you need a certificate of completion, which if it's post-adoption, honestly, you don't. But if you're struggling with a particular thing, a new stage, a new development, that's a place to go look. And you can find that at creatingafamilyed.org. That's all one word. And then we have free courses as well that are available that are mostly focused on parenting. So again, all sorts of really good topics. And you can get those at, well, I'll give you the bit.ly thing, uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y at J-B-F support, because they're supported through the Jockey Bing Family Foundation, bit.ly at J-B-F support. We also have a kind of new, only a year or so old, support group curriculum, curricula for parenting groups, for adoption parent groups, for foster parent groups, or even kinship groups. We have 23 up now, 23 curricula. Each curricula comes with a video, a facilitator guide, a handout and additional resources, and a certificate of, of attendance, depending on who would need it. So if you have any interest in support groups, our, the mission with that is to increase the number of high-quality parent support groups by making it blindingly easy to run one. And uh, everything you need is right there. The video, uh, we create the video, and, uh, and there's pauses. It's interactive. It's for discussion. So that's another thing. Coming up in 2024, if I can look to the future, we're uh, running another randomized control trial in this now, and so we will not be launching it for the general public, but we'll have a five-hour interactive facilitated training on parenting children with prenatal uh, exposure to alcohol and drugs. We are in the midst of a current randomized control trial, and we will we want to run one more, and that will be happening in 2023. So we're not offering that until 2024. 
And I guess I'd round out, I, some people might argue whether this is educational, but I think it is. And that is our Facebook support group, which you had mentioned earlier, um, facebook.com slash creating a family. And or at least I think that's what it is. I'll check in just a minute. Uh, and I think that that is a uh, educational resource. So I would throw that in there. Yeah. And I have loved that space because, you know, one of the, as I mentioned earlier, I think we can get ourselves in trouble as adoptive parents if we only talk with other adoptive parents. I think there's, it's wholly helpful to have those support groups of people who are in the trenches with you. But I think crossing over sometimes too, to hear from adoptees and birth parents and, and adoption coaches and other people who have, have been in the space longer, I think that's really important. And I would consider it that education let me just also say to anybody listening who's on the go or something, we will um, I will have these links in our show notes, and I will make sure we include that the link to the fr- the Bitly link that you offered us too. So if if you didn't get correct. that written down, I'll and be- let me correct it. It's okay. Facebook.com/slash/groups creating a family. Got I it. had a feeling it wasn't quite so easy. It had to have something in there. So anyway. I've been so impressed by you and your moderating team on that Facebook group because there I've been members in other groups on Facebook and elsewhere and things can go really crazy when you have that tension between competing narratives and competing needs and competing wounds and all of this that's so prevalent in adoption. So I'm curious, what are some of the challenges you all have had in running across triad group and how have you maintained the space as one of respect and education when it can so easily get kind of ugly? Well, thank you. I agree. You know, it's so true that every group has its own personality. You know, you think that you, you wouldn't think that it would, but it really does. Why do you think that is? I think it's that all those competing things. We all come yeah. in with our what we think we know is true, and then we stumble over each other because we hit each other's triggers and then you know, the hurts come out and you get, you can get explosions so easily. And we all have our hearts on our sleeves because we're talking about something that is such, it's a heart topic. It's a H not hard. Well, hard too, but heart topic as well. Yes. You know? So yeah, you know, it is so, if there is a secret's not the right word, but if there is one, it's going in having a very clear mission. And I think one of it's, it's a, maybe it's a bit of a conundrum, but our mission, and we had to be very clear on it. And we weren't at the very beginning. And then, but when we realized very early on, and that is that if you come to this, to this space, our mission is to educate and support adoptive foster and kin parents. We believe and, and want to have adversity all members of the triad, and even beyond the triad, siblings, adopted siblings, foster siblings, you know, anyone who's touched, we want your voices, but you have to come in accepting that our mission, the mission of our group, is to educate and support adoptive foster and kin parents. And that's hard sometimes because it makes some people say, well, you know, I want to come in and speak my, what I feel is the most important thing. And it's, there's no doubt that there, there should be, that what's important to you is valid. And there's probably, in fact, not probably, there is a place that you can fight like-minded people. But if you join our group, you have to come with that thought in mind that that's what you're there for is to, so I think that probably helps. And then honestly, heavy moderation. And we have a team, you were saying me, but honestly, I'm a smaller percentage of it than we have a staff person who is 
very involved. And we also have a, a group of eight moderators and we train our moderators and we have a separate mod group where we get together to talk about this is going to be a hot one or uh how can we help this person who has you know you know etc we are always in the mod group talking about how we can better moderate something that's happening you know it just it, it takes time and effort and quite frankly a fair amount of our limited nonprofit funds to run it's i think people uh discount that it's just you know we've had people who we've made decisions that somebody doesn't like and they will say well uh, you know you should do this you should do that and we say start your own group we will help promote it and if because if you feel like that this should be allowed we don't allow oh there's a number of things but for most things we do allow but if for whatever reason if you feel like that you then start a group and we will help promote it because there there's an audience for all these groups but I think people underestimate what we have found is the people who have said, yeah, I'm going to start one. What we find is that the reality is that it's a lot of work. And adoption isn't the only realm in this that this is tricky in because finding that sweet spot between free speech, where we really want you to be honest and candid here, but also respectful of others and even amid a conflict, that's really tricky to figure out what those rules are that, that yeah. get you to that line. You are so right. You are so right. And I don't know that we have perfected it. I do think we've gotten better at it. And I think that, yeah, and you're right, it's definitely not just in the world of adoption or the world of Facebook. Yeah, what we have sometimes been able to say is your words to somebody who has not been respectful in the way they express themselves is to say, if you want the person that you're talking to to hear you, you need to say it in a way that they can hear you, where they don't feel attacked. It's not that your point is invalid. In fact, very often I agree with the person who is yelling at somebody, you know, but I say, so how are you going to say it in a way, if ultimately your goal is to impact this person, then you got to say it in a way that they can hear it. Yeah, I, I have to say that so much of my early learning came from painful lessons by generous adoptees. Sometimes they were elegant in the way they <laughs> responded to me, and sometimes they were not. And it was a challenge for me to try to find out what they were saying that had merit, even though it might have been wrapped up in something that was really hard to mm -hmm. receive. But I think yeah. that's why the cross triad group works so well. Yeah. I always saw, especially adult adoptees, as being the my children of the future, but I could hear them now while I was still raising my children yes. and um, know things that I needed to know now. Exactly. Like, like kids, kids wouldn't be able to tell me because they weren't there developmentally yet. Yeah. And even if they were there developmentally and mine, well, I guess all of mine are, <laughs> they, they're not, there are things that they won't tell me, right. you know? So, and yeah, just as I sometimes want to say to more strident voices, it goes both ways. And also to adopt a parent, stop being so darn sensitive. This is not about you. You don't, you're not that fragile. You know, you can come in and hear stronger words without getting in a huff or pull up your big girl pants. And, you know, you can handle this. You know, so it goes both ways. My exasperation at times is like, okay, you can tone down and not be, you know, say it in a way that's easier to hear. But on the other hand, you need to toughen up. So, yeah. I, yeah. And I think that's what your group has done so well at is you took your mission, which you had clarified, you clarified, you're, you probably are continually clarifying and you turn that into your culture. And so in some ways I've seen the group kind of moderate itself 
a little bit, you know, there's a, a little bit, yes, a gentle ushering of people when they start to go a little bit too fragile or too harsh. There, mm-hmm. there's sometimes people there to say, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you notice in that group that if somebody posts, let's say it's an adoptive parent who is posting and it is often other adoptive parents that are also correcting and saying, you know, this may just be you thinking it's all about you. Have you thought about the fact that this is really your kid's story or whatever, whatever the the situation is. So it it tends to be a group that tends to be moderating the person. And it's not just one person who is having one adoptee or one birth parent who is having having to carry the load, which I think is helpful because that's a, that's a wearying burden to have to always be the one who feels like you've got to be the spokesperson. Right. I have found over the years too that being able to be in these this these cross triad spaces is good practice for parenting, adoptive parenting, because you're trying to figure out how to listen and validate and have boundaries with either your child or your child's birth family members or something, and remain connected to them even when you might have gotten triggered by something. So that kind of being in the space, but also have an internal check of going on of what, what am I bringing to this? What, you know, how is it? So being in these spaces, I think is really good training for adoptive parenting. Even if you're just lurking, you know, you're not posting, but you're reading. It's like reading an advice column because somebody will post with an issue and you get all of this advice, much of it really good. Yeah. I agree with you. And with all the perspectives around it, it, they they come at the problem from different angles and and each piece Mm -hmm. can have its own value. Yes. Yes. And former foster youth might say, but this is, how do you think we would feel in this situation? And somebody, so you're right. And so think, stop a moment and think, oh yeah, I bet that would be hard. Yeah. And Um, how do I stay connected? How do I stay connected? Because I'm always asking myself that as a parent, how do I stay connected? What's the connected Mm -hmm. thing to do here? Mm-hmm. And the stakes are a lot lower in a in a group than it is here in my house. Yes, yes. It's easier in a group than in your house. Yes, yes, yes. This is what we're asking all season four guests. So give some thought to this. How can we best support adoptees in building healthy identities and connections right from the start? I think that as adoptive parents, we have to accept that our kids are not us and that their curiosity about and connections with their first family is not a threat to us and their interest and they are simply, it's not all about us and taking and and not feeling threatened allows us to open ourselves up to walk alongside them in this journey. I love that. I feel like maybe you've encapsulated the whole thing right there with it's not all about us. Mm -hmm. And it's normal. I think when you come into it, that that it is all about you when you're you're starting this journey of adopting whatever method you use. But at some point that has to fall away because you Mm -hmm. go from a you to an us and you just have to make space for that other person to be themselves and have their Mm -hmm. own feelings and emotions about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate your sharing um, everything about creating a family today, about um, getting out of our echo chambers and keeping ourselves in the state of education around adoptive parenting. And I think creating a family is such a wonderful resource to be able to do that among others. So thank thank you you. so much, Lori. This has been fun. A special thanks to adopting.com for producing and support and sponsoring this podcast. 
This is a 100% free podcast, no advertising and no paywall. The fee, if you'd like to help us out, is to share with others, subscribe, and give this episode a rating wherever you listen. With each episode of Adoption the Long View, we bring you guests who expand your knowledge of adoptive parenting. Thanks to each of you for tuning in and investing in your adoption's long view. May you meet everything on your road ahead with confidence, curiosity, and compassion.